we are continuing a sermon series on Nehemiah. And Nehemiah <clears throat> is one of the great biblical heroes in Scripture. And what I love about Nehemiah is that he was just a regular guy. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a preacher. He was a regular guy that had risen to the position of cupbearer uh, to, the, to the Persian king. Uh, which meant that he was extremely talented and gifted, but he was not what you'd call a spiritual giant. He was a regular guy. And yet the lesson in Nehemiah uh, is that when you are burdened for the work of God, when your heart is open to God, God will find a way to use you. And this is the message for every single one of you in this church. The message is that you don't have to go to Africa you don't have to go to India, but if you're open to be used by God, as great as those works are, you can be used right here in this church, in your family, in your country club, in this community. God can use you if you leave yourself open to be used, if in fact you're convicted and burdened. Uh, and so this is so significant to me, a message that I believe has to be preached uh, to us as a church. And as I've always told you, that when I'm preaching, I'm preaching to myself first. Me first. If it doesn't work for me, it can't work for you. And as my dad used to say, I hope that it bounces off me and hits you and convicts you, because that's what good preaching should be. And so this is all in the second chapter of Nehemiah. We're not going to read <clears throat> a lot of verses. I'll let you read that at home. I'm going to pick and choose uh, what we focus on today. But uh, this is the chapter where Nehemiah will come to the king, to come to the Persian king because he will be burdened for the kingdom of God. And so chapter 2 indicates that he was burdened by sadness. His brother had come back, you see, from Jerusalem and told him about how despicable the city was in. The walls were destroyed. People, you know, strange tribes were coming in and coming out and conquering the Jewish people. Yes, they had rebuilt the temple, obviously, to no extent the way it was built before. But seriously, this city was not intact. Uh, it was desolate. And so he was really burdened about this, that the Jewish people, the people that God had called his chosen people, were being treated like this. And so he approached the king with this problem. He approached it. But he prayed first. For four months, he prayed. He fasted. He sought God. Lord, what's your will for me? What's your will for my life? How do I do this? Month after month after month. And that's the first lesson that we learn here. If you want to do the will of God, if you're burdened as he was, then you pray. Father, how do I approach this? How do you want me to act? What, what are the words that I say? Uh, and, and so as I read this chapter, uh, I'm, I'm so amazed as I see the power of God manifested in his life. Now, you'll notice when you read this chapter that the date that he approached the king uh, is clearly indicated. Now, you may have said, why, why is the uh, writer of this uh, passage, why do we see the date? Why do we have the date? And that is actually uh, March 14th, 445 B.C. We can tell that from the way the, the passage is written. March 14th, uh, 445 B.C. Now, remember this. This is about 100 years after Daniel will prophesy about the 
future history of the Jewish people. In one of the greatest passages written in the Bible, in in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel will write about the entire future history of the Jewish people. Uh, And Gabriel will come and give him this vision. Can you imagine? As he's praying there, the angel Gabriel will come down and speak to him and tell him, this is what the future of the Jewish people will be about. And in in Daniel chapter 9, he speaks about 70 weeks of seven. And so anybody who would have an understanding uh, of biblical times would understand that weeks of seven meant seven years. And so what it meant was the angel Gabriel was giving a slice of time of 490 years. 490 years that would be cataclysmic in the life of the Jewish people. That would change them forever. That would change them forever. Um, And I want to read that verse to you because it's important. Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. uh, And we have it on the board. Uh, And this is now, remember, this is about 100 years, 100 years uh, before Nehemiah will come and ask the king to let him go. 100 years before. And that's the nature of true prophecy. I laugh when I hear people call themselves prophets today. Okay? You know, the kind of prophecy, well, the sun's going to come out tomorrow. The moon's going to come out tomorrow night. God loves you. Yeah, those prophecies, we know. But that's not what real prophets are about. Real prophets are about saying there's 490 years left in the life of the Jewish people. Here's when the Messiah is going to come. And this is what you see in these verses. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us this window into your heart. Daniel 9, verse 25 says that exactly 173,880 days from the day that the decree written by the king for Nehemiah to go back, Jesus Christ would come into Jerusalem and be ordained as the Messiah. 173,880 days. Is that accurate enough for you? And look what it says here. Understand this. Know and understand this. From the time the world goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild Jerusalem, until the anointed one, capitalized, divine, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. In other words, that's 69 years of seven years apiece. It will be rebuilt with streets and a, and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. That's the history of Jerusalem as laid out by the angel Gabriel, a period of time recognizing that that there would be 173,000 days coming, and then the Messiah would walk into Jerusalem. And in fact, there's a great book uh, I commend it to you. You can get it still on Kindle, published by Sir Robert Anderson, the coming prince, uh, who was the, the mathematician and astronomer who went back 
looked at these dates, looked at the, the, the term of the Jewish year, it was 360 days, and calculated all of that, and he came to the date of April 5th, 32 A.D., precisely 173,880 days from Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. And the church said, that's right, that's your God. That's your God. That's how much he loves you. That's the accuracy of Scripture. This is why we study Scripture. And so I want you to understand this. All is put together by the time that Nehemiah is convicted to go and ask the king to send him back. And God saw it in advance. And God prepared him and prepared all of us. And so Nehemiah indicates in this passage that he was sad in the presence of the king. Now, this is not a good thing to do if you're the cupbearer. You can imagine. I'm the, I'm the king. I don't need to be around sad people. I need to be around up people. I want to see happiness. I don't want to look at your face and be dragged down. And so it was a dangerous thing. The king had the authority really to execute people who, who did things like that that were not pleasing to him. And so he it was forbidden to be sad in the presence of the king. And yet Nehemiah could not help himself. He'd been so burdened. Uh, and so he knew that it was not his place to change the heart of the king. It was God's place. And so he prays for God, Lord, burden. Now, can you imagine? You're asking God to have the king of Persia give you the authority to go back and rebuild Jerusalem when, in fact, that king had already entered a decree that stopped all building. But you understand that's the nature of faith. That's what God does when he calls us. Uh, and so he responds to the king who says, why, why are you so sad? And he says there in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 3, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? King, how can I not be sad? The legacy of all my family, of everything we stood for, is in shambles. It's destroyed. It's been destroyed for several hundred years. It's hopeless. Uh, and, and so he approaches the king. And now I want you to see how the Holy Spirit works. And this is the lesson for you. That even when you are dealing with pagan people, when God is aligning the stars and aligning you, God can touch the heart of the pagan person. There's all evidence for that in Scripture. And so God evidently touched the heart of the king of Persia, uh, who, when he heard this, was touched, was touched that Jerusalem was destroyed uh, and that it was a disgraceful affair. And he sympathized with Nehemiah. Uh, and as a result, when you see this, the king begins to put a plan together to send Nehemiah back to rebuild the city. That's right, the pagan king does this. Now, this is, a, this is another lesson for us, uh, that we need to share our concerns from time to time with someone else who can pray for us, who has a heart for the work of God. So many times we, we whine about being lone rangers. God doesn't want us to do that. God wants us to share our concerns. And so as we share our concerns, we need also to be uh, careful about not shopping for advice. We don't shop for advice. I don't look around 
and say, you know, I really want to go and do X, Y, Z. Let me see who, who I can ask that'll support that. How many people can I take a survey of? God doesn't want you to take a survey. He wants you to pray. And then when he prays, he's going to lead you to the person who's going to confirm what your call is. Uh, and so clearly... Nehemiah is, is working under the power of the Holy Spirit. He described the problem of Jerusalem without denigrating the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Now, it would have been so easy to say, you know, there's a bunch of losers there. They've been there for 100 years now, and they can't rebuild the city. Uh, and, and I got to go back. I got to go back to fix this mess. Uh, he didn't say that at all. He didn't say it at all. He just put, put the king in a position where the king could share his vision. And the king does. Uh, and so in Nehemiah verses 4 to 8, chapter 2, the king discusses the request. He talks with him and has a conference with him. He immediately expresses concern and sympathy uh, and indicates he wants to help him. That, my friends, is the Holy Spirit. I want to help you. I respect you, Nehemiah. This is a worthy calling that you have. I want to help you. And so Nehemiah's months of prayer and faith are answered by the, by the God. Yes, the king will help. And in fact, he's enthusiastic about supporting this great work. Now, Nehemiah, you see, was well prepared. Uh, he had a plan. He knew that he would have to have a plan in order to go back and fix the walls of the city. He would need timber. Uh, he would need stone. He would need uh, letters of, of, of travel to allow him to go through these things. He would need to have guards with him walking. He had a plan for this. And so he was all planned about thinking about these things and how he needed to do it. Uh, but it was a spirit-led plan. He prayed for months. And the Spirit of God touched his mind and taught him how to do it. So many times we don't bother with the prayer part. You understand? I'm smart. I'm well-educated. I understand these things. I'm a contractor. I'm a builder. I don't need to go and discuss these things. I'll just go and do my own thing. And you see, it winds up being a disaster. So many people wind up having disastrous things in their life because they don't ask God for wisdom. We ask God for wisdom. We let God be our planner. And so it was a spirit-led plan that God then opened the door for. Uh, and so the king knew it. The king knew he would need timber. The, the king knew it without even having seen the city. And so he gives Nehemiah all these things that he needs in order to make this endeavor possible. And Nehemiah will travel 800 miles. Can you imagine traveling 800 miles in those days with donkeys and horses and carrying the material to rebuild the wall? Imagine a level of conviction that you have to have. Uh, and to me, it's, it's so powerful. Uh, and so God is burdening him. God is convicting him. God is opening the heart of the pagan king, opening the doors, and, and so now Nehemiah is blessed as he starts this work. And so God wants to train us up, really, as being spiritual planners. God wants us to plan for the work of God. He wants to use you. And even when you see this regular guy, this guy Nehemiah, God uses him in such a powerful way. Uh, but we have to bow again to the will of God as we let him lead us in every way. Now, he was not 
unafraid to ask other people for help. He knew that others had the resources that he needed. He needed to ask the king, and he needed to ask other people for the finances in order to do this. And so we don't know every nuance that took place, but clearly he asked many people to help and be a part of this endeavor. Uh, and, but most importantly, he showed honor and respect to this pagan king and asked him to participate in a worthy effort. Let me ask you this. Think about the people that you know. Think about the people that may not, in fact, be born-again Christians, but yet God would want you to find a way to perhaps use them and bring them into the circle of God and find a way that they can be used. Think about that. There's a lesson here that if you're doing something for the work of God and you're convicted, there are people that God would want you to ask to be a part of it. Who knows how many people can be saved like this? You know that when we study Scripture, one of the things we know that Nebuchadnezzar who starts out being this evil king, throwing the Jewish boys into the prison, into the furnace, winds up being saved. And most theologians tell us that when you get to heaven, Nebuchadnezzar is going to be there. How about that? So you see how God is, how God looks for us to combine our efforts to bring people along with us as we do the plan of God in our lives. Uh, and so the lesson here is that God can provide for his work in totally unexpected ways. Totally unexpected ways. Uh, and I'm sure all of you have a testimony like that, that God uh, has used you at times when you were totally unexpected, sort resources come your way that you didn't expect. That's how God acts. That's how God does it. And so in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, Nehemiah arrives in Jerusalem and comes upon the opposition. Well, is that a surprise? Is there any worthy uh, procedure for God that is not somehow opposed by Satan? It always happens. This is how Satan works. He'll wait and see how much you are. How convicted are you really? He's not worried about your vision or about your thoughts or about your plans, but it's when you actually step out and start acting to do these works of God that suddenly you're going to see Satan pull his head up and oppose you in every way. And I can assure you that if you are actively involved in advancing the kingdom of God, you will receive opposition. I told you that when I, when I started to have uh, the chance to be on the radio, and I never asked to be on the radio. I never. I never called the radio station. I never pitched it. My position with the Lord was always, Lord, if you want something from me, you pull it to me. You bring it to me. I don't want my personal ambition to be involved. And so when I started to be on the radio about nine or ten years ago, do you know that there were people in some churches that uh, criticized me? Who does he think he is? Who does he think he is? What is he trying to do? Hey, I'm not getting paid to be on the radio. This isn't putting a dollar in my pocket. I'm doing it because I'm burdened for God. All right, if God has called me somehow to bring people to the cross, and yet you understand how the opposition of Satan comes out and accuses you, who does he think he is? Now, let me tell you something. If you're not fully convicted to serve God, 
That, that opposition hurts. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, I don't want people to think that about me. Oh, no, oh, I don't want them to think I have ambition. And instead you have to say, I don't care what they say. I'm serving him. I'm planting the flag of Christ. If he's asked me to speak to one person, I will. But if he's asked me to speak to a million, I will do that also. It's not about me. It's not about this church. It's about the kingdom of God. And that's how you have to live your life. When you leave here, I hope every single one of you will have that commitment in your life that you are dedicated to serving God, just as Nehemiah was, to travel 800 miles. And now after he travels the 800 miles, now he's opposed. Now he finds out that there are people there, leaders, that, that don't want him to advance, that want this city to continue to be degraded, all right? Because that's the way it is. Satan doesn't want a single person to be saved, all right? And let me assure you that when you are out there advancing the kingdom of God, you have a target on your back. And I'll say this also. If you have not received the opposition, I have to question whether you're really in the game, okay? Really, if you're not being opposed, you have to ask God, Lord, am I in the game here? Or am I just going along for the ride? Because if you're in the game, if you're advancing the kingdom of God, then there will be opposition. But now you're prepared for it. Now you know what to expect. <clears throat> and so you see it. They were deeply disturbed, the enemies, that this man would come uh, in some way and try to rebuild the walls. Uh, they cared nothing for the people of, of Jerusalem. They cared nothing. They wanted them to be weak and downtrodden so that they could run roughshod over them. Uh, they didn't even care that the temple was there. How about that? They could live with the temple, all right? But they didn't want the city to go back and be vibrant, to be a drawing card, to be protected. That's what they didn't want. Uh, and they wanted the people of God not to be strong, not to be secure. That's the lesson here. <clears throat> and so you see this, that the opposition from Satan comes not when you're planning or thinking, all right, you think and plan, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. But it's suddenly when you step out and you step forward and you're there and you're making moves, suddenly the evil powers come out and attack and knock you down. And I would say this to all of you here, with all the ministries that we have going on in this church, be prepared. Be prepared. All right, be prepared. It's coming. If you haven't received it yet, it will. Because nothing infuriates Satan more and the powers of evil than when you see the advancement of the kingdom of God. Uh, and so here's the other point. Some people then think, well, you know what? Maybe it's better if I don't step out. I hear this. Maybe it's better if I keep a low profile. God knows my heart. You've heard this, right? He knows my heart. He knows I love him. I, I don't really want to be a frontline guy. Right? I don't want to be a frontline guy. I'd rather be a back guy. A back guy. Uh, and I would say this. If you think your life is going to be blessed by being a back guy, you are really missing the boat. You are really missing the boat. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I had, I've had this in my own life. When I left my dad's church and came to Florida, you know, this is now about 20-some years ago, I was burned out. The last years at that church were not good years as my father passed away, uh, and uh, we weren't treated in a very kindly way. 
uh, as the new administration came in. And so I came down, I decided, frankly, you know what? I'm sitting in the back row. And by the way, those of you in the back row, don't get nervous now. <laughs> don't get nervous, all right? Don't get nervous. But in my prior church, I sat in the back row of a Bible study. You couldn't go any further back. You'd be out in the hallway. I didn't want, I didn't want to be involved. I didn't want to be a frontline guy. I wanted to be back just keeping my mouth shut uh, and, and letting God run his course. Well, over the course of several months, I don't know what happened, but I guess during at some point, I must have opened my mouth uh, and answered a question. And somebody came to me several years later and said, you know, when you first came to class, we, we thought you were a Mexican landscaper. Then when we had a chance to hear you talk some more, we thought he must own the landscaping company. <laughs> I'm telling you this to give you an insight into how I was acting, all right? I didn't want to be a frontline guy, all right? I'd been the church organist for 35, 40 years. I'd been a main supporter of my father's ministry. Now I just wanted to guy slide along. You understand? Slide along. But here's the thing. Uh, God put it on my heart to start a Bible study in the house, okay? I couldn't avoid it. I had to do it. I was burdened, all right, to such an extent that somebody else in the church came to me and said, hey, how about you and me starting a Bible study in your house? <laughs> all right, God, if that's your plan, I knew immediately. And, because he, and let me share this with you. Here, let me share this with you. Normally, if somebody had said that to me, you know what I would have said? I would have used what I call church Weasel language. You know what church weasel language is? Let me pray about it. <laughs> Let me pray about it, because you know what that means. Yeah, I just say I'm praying about it, and a couple months goes by. But, you know, here's what happened. God took that, and because of the work of God, seven people in that house grew to 250 people in a conference center. All right? to the conference center. And then from there, because the church had seen what was happening there, they asked me to get involved and teach a Bible study at the church uh, because they said they could never get one started at 8 o'clock in the morning. And though I said, no, you need to do a survey uh, because I'm afraid nobody will come out at 8 o'clock in the morning. Tim, nobody will come out at 8 o'clock in the morning. Uh, and the next thing I know, they established it. And there are people here in this church who were there the first week Mary Lee Heim, uh, the very first week at 8 o'clock in the morning. And after several years, that class grew to 200. Now, not because of me, but because I was honoring God in the burden of my heart. It's the same guy that sat in the back of the church at the last pew. You understand? When finally you say, okay, God, I get it. I get it. All right? You don't want me to sit there in that chair. I can't do it. I'm convicted. And that's how God changes history. And that's how God will change your history. Every single one of you. Every single one of you. I mean, I want to emphasize this to you in such a powerful way that you get a sense of God's timing. It's God's timing. 
It wasn't ready when I first came down here to Florida. The timing wasn't right. God knew I had to settle in. I had scar tissue that had to heal. He wanted the scar tissue to heal. But finally, there comes a time where you have to step forward, where you have to step out. And every single one of you are at that point now where God wants you to step out in ministry, wants you to step out for the kingdom of God, wants to use you in a powerful way. And he doesn't want you to sit back in that chair uh, and let people think that you're a landscaper. All right? He wants to use you for a powerful work in the kingdom of God. Even if you don't have the personal ambition, and I want to assure you that I never had personal ambition. Even to this day, as I sit here as your pastor, it's not about personal ambition. It's about the Spirit of God grabbing me by my collar and saying, this you must do. That's it. Now, you can either honor him Bow to him, serve him, or walk away. Walk away. Now, here's the thing that I want you to reflect on. We are all surrounded by people with broken walls. You understand? This isn't just a story about going back in time, 600 BC, and, and literally fixing the broken uh, stone walls of Jerusalem. It's about fixing the broken walls of the people of God, about the people in your family, about the people that surround you. All of us have broken walls. But God burdened and convicted this man so that he could see the breaks in the walls. He didn't just go in there and look and say, well, they got the temple going. It's pretty good. Uh, so, all right, they got a few breaks in the walls, but no, you understand, he had the conviction and power of the Spirit of God. He saw the breaks in the walls. He saw the walls broken down, and God commanded him to step up and fix it. I want all of you to be in a similar position that when you walk through life and you see people who are hurting, who are broken in so many ways, that God draws you to them and finds a way for you to bring peace and healing uh, and restoration through the Spirit of God. This is what it is. That's why I want you all to be little Nehemiahs in every possible way. So many of our people are trapped in a cycle of sin and bitterness and hatred, and they desperately need the touch of God. You understand? That's what Nehemiah brought when he went back to Jerusalem. He brought the Spirit of God. Uh, and so what we want to do is we want to be that same kind of person. We want to be the kind of person that brings healing and restoration in every possible way. Yes, you can use me as an example, if you will, a poor example, how God can take someone who says, I'm done. I'm done. I want to ride this pony to the end of time. I came down to Naples. I want to go out on the beach. I want to go out in a boat. I'm just going to play some golf. And I stink at golf, but God delivered me from that too. And the point of it is this, you see, when all of a sudden it's not you, me, 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 I, 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 but instead all of a sudden it says, God, what do you want from me? What do you want from me, Lord? I'll do it. I'll do it. Whatever it is, I'll do it, Father. And so you see this. This man, this godly man goes and takes the tour of Jerusalem. 
And I would say this, you need to take a tour of the broken people around you as well, in every way. Proverbs 25, verse 28 says, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. Without walls. We should not hide our eyes from the brokenness that surrounds us. We should not hide our eyes from those people who are lost. We should not hide our eyes from those people that are in pain. But instead, we have to say, God, in any way that you choose, use me. Yes, Father, I see how you took a simple man, a man who was not a prophet, a man who was not a a preacher, but somehow, God, you took him and you turned him into a spiritual giant. Lord, use me the same way. Let me have that privilege, Father. And so Nehemiah took the time to understand what the cost would be before starting the work. He understood. He had a faith in God. He let God touch him. And as God touched him, he, let, he, he allowed himself to be used by God to effectively rebuild the broken walls of that city so that city would be restored to its former greatness. That's my prayer for this church today, that as you leave here today, each and every one of you become committed in some way to being a little Nehemiah, that you say to God, Lord, how do you want me to live? How do you want me to act? Who do I go and speak to? What work do I have? What ministry do you want me to do, Lord? I know I'm not perfect. I don't even have ambition, God. I don't even have personal ambition, but my ambition is to serve you. I want to serve you. I want to walk with you, Father, so that someday when I'm called from this world to the next and you look at me, you'll put my, your arms around and you'll say, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's my prayer for each and every one of you. Let's bow in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you for Nehemiah. I thank you for this lesson, Father, in faith and courage and stepping out for you. I thank you for, for the image of this man who was a simple man, Father, and yet you deigned to use him. Lord, what a lesson this is for us in our church today. Let every one of us be empowered to hear this. Let every one of us today let this message resonate in our heart and let every one of us leave this building today with a commitment to serve you in a more powerful way, Lord, as we advance the kingdom of God. Bless our people, protect them, and bring them back next week to continue to worship together. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.